Hello everyone, it's Cam here, and you're listening to Let's Talk Intersectionality. How y'all been doing? So I know it's been a minute since I posted my last podcast. Um, If you haven't listened to it, it's just a little book review on the last book that I finished called The Stars and the Blackness Between Them. I recommend go listening to that if you like books. Um, But I've also been in the process of moving. So that's also why it's been a minute for me to sit down and finish recording and everything. I've been working on this script for a little while now. Um, The past few podcasts that I've been posting have been heavily unscripted. Um, Usually I have kind of like a layout plan of what I'm going to do. But today I want to come with all the knowledge because this is a more research-based podcast. So um, thanks for your patience if you've been waiting. But uh, yeah, so as you can probably tell by the title, um, this is going to be about the intersections and evolution of fashion and glamorization. That's a mouthful, sorry. (laughs) But um, just to give a little background as to why I decided to do this. Um, I personally watch a lot of YouTube. That's my main like content consumption. Um, And there's a YouTuber that I watch by the name of Mina Lee. And I'll be bringing her up a little bit more throughout this um, podcast. But I just wanted to start off the bat saying like I was very heavily inspired by her videos to create basically this podcast so some of the information that I did get is going to be some of the stuff that she said in some of her videos before um and I also was kind of intrigued and inspired by this conversation because of a recent TikTok that I saw a few weeks ago um and a few people were stitching it just to give a quick summary of it It was basically this black dude who happened to be rich basically and he was talking about how other black people don't like him because he's rich or that he thinks that they think he's I don't know snobby or something whatever um so it just made me interested in this conversation around black glamorization um and kind of that topic which I wasn't trying to make this a cultural appropriation type of podcast but it seems like with all the information that I gathered I feel like that's going to be something important to add to this conversation so it's mostly going to be about like the evolution of fashion and like style change and glamorization for black people um but I will be adding in a few other intersections to this conversation obviously um but that's kind of just where I drew my inspiration from. This isn't something like super random. I kind of pulled inspiration from a few other things that I saw on the internet. Um, So yeah, I think that's about it for basically my intro. So let's go ahead and get started. So I decided that I wanted to start off with the beginning of mass fashion, basically. So when did we start seeing fashion or high fashion become you know, into fruition, I guess. (laughs) So what I found is that in 
1826, there was a man named Charles Frederick Worth, and he created the first fashion house in England. Um, it was called the House of Worth, which is his last name, kind of cute. Um, and he also created the Haute Couture, um, which is basically French for high sewing or high dressmaking, and it also refers to like the creation of exclusive fashion. So this also refers to um, like custom fitting. Um, so he started to become more established in Paris in 1858. And so he would cr create um, basically garments for European royalty at the time. And eventually by the 19th century, um, early 19th century, he started to make more quote everyday wear, which obviously our everyday wear today is very different than what the everyday wear was in the early 19th century. Um, so yeah, just to put that out there. So that's kind of where we see in like the beginning, which actually didn't really surprise me, right? Because like we, when we think of like Paris or like France and stuff like that, it's like fashion, it's the fashion place. So I thought that was really interesting to see that. Um, and kind of how, again, like how the UK has influenced heavily, like, obviously like royalty but like immediately when I started doing research for that like I was thinking about like name brand clothes and obviously probably I'll get to that later on but I wanted to mention that right up front and at first because I thought that was interesting that we see this like almost direct reflection of the past and now with like oh like you can get customized fitting for like famous people who go to like the Met Gala or like the Emmys or something like you have a personal stylist and they fit you and you can literally create your own look um and it's just interesting to me like seeing how it's shifted over the years how we still kind of glorify people who are in powerful positions so um and how that connects to like fashion basically and you know like the idea of having like brand name clothes like I remember always wanting Aeropostale or Hollister when the shirt is literally a plain shirt with a little Hollister logo at the top for like $50 what sense does that make just so I can flaunt that I went to Hollister and make it look like I got money um no anyways that was a side rant sorry anyways so I wanted to kind of tie this in obviously specifically to black people so um I wanted to do a little bit of research and tie in the evolution of fashion in terms of like basically what I found is like the change in time like which is kind of obvious if you're like me and you're into sociology for example I'm a soci well I'm going to be a sociology major um, but that's what I'm studying so like when you think about it in that way like that is the only thing that makes sense and that's pretty common knowledge right so meanwhile you know while slavery is happening during this time of like the creation of high fashion stuff like that um class is heavily affecting you know access to clothes at this point obviously which actually is still pretty true today uh and the rich had multiple changes of clothes for throughout the day while poor people had to had to recycle their clothes um they didn't get you know fresh new clothes every day or every other week um or fresh new undergarments every other day because they didn't have the money they were poor um and they didn't have the status right so um 
and you know at this time like changing and washing your clothes it was way more important than washing your body their white undergarments were most of their laundry work hand washing of course and the rich had multiple white undergarments while the poor only had a few and the more white and clean those undergarments came across the more class you looked like you had so it was a very easy way to just to distinguish the rich from the poor because the rich people always had fresh white new garments that they could wear cycle through multiple times throughout the day while poor people maybe only had like one to two or maybe even three undergarment white undergarments um for throughout the day and you know obviously if you're changing those throughout the day and you only have three of them they're not going to stay as white and pretty as the people who you know have multiple or just unlimited i should say unlimited access to undergarments so that's another way that we see class being heavily implicated through clothing fashion even then um so i wanted to kind of like dive deep a little bit into kind of like what were some of the cultural norms of fashion clothing stuff like that before colonization basically um which there are still some you know places that are pretty true to their culture and stuff like that but i think it's interesting to look back at history and this is kind of where i personally kind of noticed a lot of ties of the cultural appropriation conversation within this topic so i'm just going to go over a little bit of some of the few findings of you know some african uh like cultural norms in terms of fashion right um so what were what were africans wearing you know like before slavery main clothing items were loincloth um which were a one-piece garment something um sometimes it had feathers or beads depending on which culture or tribe you belong to and this specifically just covered your private parts like your front your butt you know stuff like this um this kind just to use as an example kind of like the garment that like tarzan wore right so if you picture tarzan in that loin cloth that's what it is babe um so and then they also wore head wraps and bark cloth which was made from trees and the rest of their body was covered with marks or color pigment scar markings or body painting was used for many reasons depending on what culture or tribe could be used for coming of age celebration protection mourning or even aesthetic purposes i did find one article mentioning beauty contests with body painting but i'm not totally sure how accurate that one was um so if you do know if that is accurate accurate or not please let me know because i would be interested to know if that is true because that's the first time i've heard that or read that before for aesthetic or for aesthetic purposes and or for like beauty contests contest and stuff like that so if you have more history on that or even specific tribes i'm doing a very general overview so these are like general ideas a summary of kind of what it was like this isn't for every single group this isn't um like i'm not talking about one place in africa i'm just giving kind of an overview so please just keep that in mind that this is not like a one size fits all this is just a general summary um so i also 
found that it can also represent warriors and power, for example, to showcase who the chiefs and the sorcerers are and to protect from evil spirits. So they also wore a lot of gold jewelry. The women would often put in their hair and individual locks. And I also noticed there are a lot of similarities with African groups and indigenous groups when it comes to culture and traditions and beliefs, um, sorcerers, chiefs, protecting from evil spirits. We see a lot of that in a lot of indigenous communities as well. Obviously, there are going to be different, um, like, like specific things that go into their practices. But some of these actually are very similar in many ways um, from things that I've learned from school and doing research on my own. Um, and not only that, but also talking to real people. <laughs> go outside. No, I'm just kidding. But um, yeah, so that's kind of just like a general overview and kind of where I wanted to mention like the cultural appropriation thing this one is small and hopefully i'll bring more back from this section like later in the podcast but um i even wanted to bring up just like the tarzan thing like y'all tell, tell, tell me if i'm wrong here okay tell me if i'm really wrong if i'm stretching it but like really think about it like when i was doing this research and i like looked up the loincloth and like doing my research blah 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 and i wrote down the example of tarzan i was like you know it's kind of messed up that like Tarzan is its own franchise is it not like is that is that subtle undertones like I'm am I picking up what they're putting down because my perspective on this is he's he's a character right and he's he's a white character a white man he has long you know flowy hair in the wind but he's portrayed as a monkey man and he's wearing like loin cloth and when you look at the historical ties to that like real people who are not like interacting and like living with monkeys and tigers and bears oh my like real people wear this and like real cultures have ties to this and for us to like put it in a franchise for this like this white dude who is basically like not fully human to us like he's part monkey at this point i don't know something about it doesn't sit right with me and it has some like kind of undertones to it let me know what you guys think about that. But that really had me thinking where I'm like, wow, it's literally in everything. You can pick it out of anything. There's a lot of things within this section that I want to pull when we talk about the cultural appropriation specifically. But I just wanted to bring that up right at the beginning, just so you guys can can feel me a little bit of where I'm coming from when I'm talking about cultural appropriation, glamorization, um, evolution, stuff like that, why this is important. So I just think that's a really good minor example of why these little things are important, because the perception of when you see people who are not living in a society like ours in America that's like a capital or something like you do think of them as less than or you think of them as less human or less competent and that's just not the truth like real people wear these things they have real societies just because it doesn't look exactly like ours does not mean it's any less civilized so I just want to put that out there that that kind of pisses me off a little bit and I don't really stand that like Tarzan is the franchise that it is right now I'm not hating on it I'm not saying never watch Tarzan I'm not saying it's racist straight up but like there's some things that feel like it's it has some undertones to it that I I aren't sitting right with me so just wanted to put that out there so let's keep moving <laughs> also as a heads up I might be splitting this up into two parts depending on so just be prepared for that. 
Um, so let's kind of talk about like, you know, after effects, after slavery, um, kind of what was the transition like for black people specifically? Because I feel like that's not a conversation that I see happening a lot. And I think this is a, a really important part of the conversation because this is like the start of why black culture and cultural appropriation is a thing because we had to create our culture here. We had to literally come up with any and everything to make ourselves quote unquote presentable, to make ourselves more, you know, digestible, I think is a great word, um, to white people and to this society that we have literally been thrown into that we didn't choose to come to. So I just want to really emphasize that, that this conversation, like this part of it, like I find very, very interesting just because this is the start of our culture being made here as black Americans. So um, during slavery, slaves were typically making materials and creating textiles for clothes. Slavery ends in about six in sorry, not 16, <laughs> ends in about 1863. And obviously this takes a few years for all slaves to really be free. But that's when it that started right so mind you again like black people were creating not only textiles clothings materials for themselves but for white people as well to use to create you know high fashion so um what was so now let's talk about like what like the fashion kind of style was in like the late 1800s so around that time there were very high necks long sleeves um covered neck and wrist all the time um typically plain and black and avoided any decoration um that was typically the day look right and then during the evening gowns were more often extravagantly trimmed decorated with lace ribbons or netting um and short sleeves and long white gloves again this is more of the rich people side so being able to have the access to be able to change your clothes for morning afternoon and evening was very important um and heavily indoctrinated in our culture at that time so what were we wearing after we were free so the change of clothes is heavily impacted by the change of opportunity that we got so our clothes used to literally be called slave clothes and that's what we incorporated at the time with the style in america to kind of create our own um clothes and styles basically so for example they had indigo and cotton they were dyeing weaving and sewing garments for their clothes and head wraps they used a few different colors um and Oh, sorry. <laughs> they used in the, the and they used a few different colors. So something also that I found to be really gross, um, which I'm sure actually there's many people out here who already know this. I feel like I had mild knowledge on this, but to have it all put down in this way is very interesting for me. Um, but um, the so back in the day, before you know when we were slaves, um, during the time of slavery. It was called Negro cloth, which consisted of cotton dresses, sunbonnets, and other undergarments. All of our clothes were hand woven and used to and there used to be a quote slave dress code. So our slave dress code was the Negro cloth. 
so I just wanted to also add in here the like the conversation of the cultural appropriation. This is why we feel some type of way when people who are not black do stuff that isn't for them. I know that head wraps are a very broad thing, <laughs> right? Head wraps are not just for black people, but however, when you add in the conversation of our history, there is significant, like, like uh, I don't even know the word. There is significant meaning as to why these things are important to us. Head wraps were literally used to be considered the slave dress code and Negro cloth. So for non-black people to be like, oh yeah, this head wrap is so cute and I'm just going to wear my turban and oh my God, I'm going to have my hair hanging out and da 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 Like, I'm sorry, but like it kind of bothers me because it's like y'all don't even know the repercussions that we had. Like we had to cover our hair. Like we didn't even have an option, okay? So for people to do it as like, oh, like I'm, I'm not black and I'm, it's, I'm not saying never wear a head wrap if you're not black, right? But there are some cultural ties that need to be talked about. This was something that was a part of discrimination, slavery, racism. It was literally indoctrinated into our system, in our society. So now when people are like, oh, I can just do whatever I want. Okay, sure. But just know that there is a, his a whole history behind what you're doing. And we were ridiculed for our hair. And we had to wear, quote, Negro cloth and a slave dress code and cover our hair because it wasn't, um, it wasn't presentable enough. So just keep that in mind when you are a non-black person taking on all these different ideas and things that you're like, oh, that's cute. Can I do that? Just think about it. Just look at the history for a second. Think about it and think, hmm, what what are the cultural ties that come into play here? Because, well, bonnets and, uh, you know, like turbans and all that stuff, it's, it's not just for black people. I understand that. And we all understand that. However, we do have to acknowledge the cultural ties that are along with these garments that we like to just so freely wear, like it's it's a part of our culture in a way that like we had to recreate it so that's why it's really important when i or not really important but why i find it great when i do see black women wearing turbans or we can wear our bonnets out like on i don't know if y'all be on tiktok like that what side of tiktok y'all are on but i love that literally everybody just be going out with their bonnets now like everybody has that pink bright bonnet okay like everyone has that pink bright bonnet that's huge as fuck and it has a little black band and it's good okay i need that bonnet everybody be going out in their bonnet now we're taking that shit back and that's what i love i think that's funny and i think it's cute not funny haha -ha, but like <laughs> funny you go girl like i love it so th that's just my little rant really quick. Sorry. Um, I just wanted to put that in there a little bit. So let's let's keep moving. So let's talk a, a little bit about, you know, what these uh, the slave dress code entailed a little bit more. So I couldn't I can't remember. I couldn't find specifically of when this was taking place so either before or after slavery ended there was an annual an annual clothing distribution i believe that this was like during slavery um and they would bring 
brogan shoes which are like doc martens combined with like clogs basically if you can imagine those that's that's what brogan shoes are they're really ugly um <laughs> they they got palamento pal palmetto hats sorry i can't read today apparently turbans and handkerchiefs um this all depended on location as well so um i just wanted to throw all of that in there obviously for all the reasons that i literally just said the change of time that was happening and what black people did to change like our the way we present ourselves to better fit in basically you know um and how we basically made nothing into something so i really just applaud the ancestry that i come from because like y'all just don't understand like doing all of this is just so interesting to me like learning how literally and again this isn't new information but like literally everything we do everything we know has been created from the ground up like we had everything stolen from us and we had to literally find a new way to live and present ourselves and literally just speak alone so like I just think all of this is super important and I think like learning a little bit about what we were wearing before during and after is really important because that's how you really start to see this evolution and why glamorization for black people is important in my opinion so let's keep on moving and i kind of want to dive a little bit deeper into when did we start seeing kind of this mass fashion grow like where 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 were people shopping? What was retail like? How did we start to get into the direction where fast fashion was, is right now as well, but was and is so popular? So shopping and retail really began with period, periodic markets and fairs. Typically in Britain, there were about, not typically in Britain, but you know, typically in Britain, this is kind of like where the origins really begin with like shops and fairs. And obviously stuff came to America and that's, you know, that's that. So in Britain, there were about 62 shops in 1801 and tripled over the coming years. So between 1831 and 1870, almost 200 bills were passed by the parliament. Um, In case you don't know what that is, it's just the UK's highest legislator. So to improve markets and which created regulations on the use of land. So this happened about five years after the first fashion house began in the UK. So this was also happening in between the time of the civil rights movement. This was a huge shift for shopping and marketing, thus eventually creating malls, which I find super interesting because malls like you could do a whole evolution video podcast whatever on just like the evolutions of malls because even just starting from there and then looking at where malls have gone and where they're going to now like back home like our mall is basically abandoned like (laughs) the west town mall bruh there's nothing in there like literally it's just a food court at that point like it's just it's it's a mall food court like there's nothing in there so i just find it interesting how much malls boomed and like how like basically we like (laughs) 
I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I'm sorry. But how legislators and how the government just furthered the shopping market, I guess, and fast fashion market and stuff like that. I find it very interesting. So we see a noticeable change in fashion around the 1880s. Um, I also wanted to, sorry, I'm adding a lot of side notes, but uh, I also just wanted to add that I am doing like basically per decade, um, roughly per decade, but styles change every two to five years like if you really were to look at style charts and actually dissect from like year to year you see a noticeable change um even less than decades apart so i just wanted to add that in here i'm giving a very general overview of decade by decade pretty much um this is not like a okay we're going to 81 82 83 like that would be way too much so i'm just going by decade so we started to see the more puffy shoulder silhouette skirts that were more bell shaped and a straight front corset so the chest forward and hips more back we saw more of the s shape silhouette which in ways i mean we kind of we kind of do that now like the hourglass shape like it's basically the same thing just we we, we've been doing it a little differently but um it's basically the same thing so that's interesting, again, to see how st style recycles itself. Um, and black people were also following these trends as well and mainly made their own pieces from what I could find. When I was looking up a lot of stuff, I mostly found black people wearing very similar things, very similar outfits. But obviously, from what I just talked about previously, they were making their own things. And black people obviously are very innovative and they took what they had and they created something more out of it to be able to fit in more so just like to add that in there so we see another change in the 1900s um and as i mentioned before many bills have been passed which helped in the creation of malls and this is when fast fashion really started to begin so the change of time also equated to the change of technology and when women started to get more rights and um independence women could work and make their own money and keep their money and it was easier and faster to start making clothes now so obviously this was a huge huge shift because of you know wars happening and um women were starting to gain a little bit more independence rights things like that and so not only were women working for you know like the war and stuff but we had basic jobs as well that were coming out and women had to go to work to earn money to put food on the table for their kids um and along with that like i said the growth the, the exponential growth of technology um is insane so like being able to have more jobs accessible because there are more opportunities given because of not only wars that are happening but again the bills that are passed not only did the wars change the times but the bills really changed the times as well and really upped the ante for jobs and creation and fashion and creativity almost too so this whole new world and door is starting to become more open just because of technology specifically but also because of the change in times so i think both of those were a huge impact on fast fashion specifically 
um also i could do a whole separate podcast on fast fashion because it's bad but mind you i'm not here to ridicule anybody i don't buy from shein (laughs) i do buy from forever 21 but (laughs) i try my best to do thrift clothes shopping there's a whole history about like thrift clothes like i would love to do a whole separate podcast about like the thrift like society basically like they're they're there's a good history behind all this. I didn't add it specifically in this uh, podcast, but like learning more about like what thrift clothes meant to people who couldn't afford like actual like retail sale clothes and like fast fashion clothes and stuff like that. Like it's so interesting and we just see how everything gets appropriated basically by the rich or the white. So yeah. Anyways, that was a side note. um let's kind of so let's jump a little bit back in here um so so we're gonna just jump in time a little bit so we're skipping up until up to um like the mid 1900s i guess but um because fast fashion was becoming popular they needed a size average, which is what we see on tags today as small, medium, or large, for example. Um, one book I wanted to reference for this time and change in fast fashion is the quote, Women's Measurements for Garments and Pattern Construction by Ruth O'Brien and William Shelton. I wanted to mention this because of one of Mina Lee's video, who I mentioned at the very beginning. Um, she mentioned how black women and other women of color were specifically excluded doing the quote research for this book. And I thought this was a really important to include in this, just because to this day, I think this is an example of how sizing is very segregatory. Um, also to add, like, Mina Lee said in her video, there is no rhyme or reason to women's bodies. Yet still today, we have a sizing standard system. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that we need to like completely throw it away and that there is a perfect sound solution to this. Um, However, I do think that this is important to point out um specifically because black and brown women are just gaining um were just gaining rights at that time and to like at that time to work and to not be discriminated against so i just thought this was really interesting this was actually a huge part of why i was inspired to do this podcast was because she mentioned this book and um in whatever video it was i've watched so many of her videos i don't know which one this came from but um she talked about that and I was like wow that's really interesting and I wish you would dive deeper and I was like well why don't I dive deeper hence why you're hearing this now um (laughs) so I just thought that was interesting because not only does it perpetuate um and I don't know just show us I guess how like fat phobia racism kind of all go together because if you're only sizing for one race of women like again one there's no rhyme or reason to women's bodies two if you're only sizing white women and their body types and stuff like that like you're you're just completely missing the mark and i think that's kind of the system that we run on to this day and i'm not saying that this book like created like the sizing system or anything like that that is not what i'm saying at all however this was a very heavily influenced 
book that came to be for that time because women were starting to understand fashion garments and being able to make clothes and stuff like that being able to sew for themselves and stuff so um and not only that but for companies to be able to get an idea of you know how to size women basically so for them to do this quote-unquote research which is bullshit and it's not real research it's fake because if you were actually doing research one you would come to a conclusion for one which they didn't <laughs> um and two you would, sorry drop my mic but two you would um literally put all types of people on the roster i guess like i don't know i just i think that heavily shows us how like fat phobia racism all that stuff is heavily combined because like why are we only taking measurements of certain types of women because different types of women have different body types and you know our culture genetics and our heritage all matters because it 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 has to do with our bodies it does our genetics all that stuff like the way that we are built is all the same we're all blood we all have dna but our genetics are all differently and that means that all of us are going to have a different bust size all of us are going to have a different butt size all of us are going to have different hips different sizes of waist different sizes of thighs that's why a lot of times if you are a jean wearer and you find pants that fit you around your hips and like your thighs but then your stomach it's like huge or like you have a huge gap like and you have to wear belts because there are no pants that actually fit you yeah that's why this this is a prime example of why the system is that way for women and their bodies because they are not made actually for our bodies they find a way to like commodify us into one box but none of us are a single way all of us are different and if you're measuring different types of women you need to be doing it with different races of women as well and i just think that this heavily shows us how our clothes alone are very whitewashed i guess is the best way i can put it um not putting it kindly but that's the best way i can put it it's very whitewashed the way our clothing standards are um and i really want to do a whole separate podcast about fat phobia obviously and how it ties into racism and stuff like that but i think that's why there is this you know this whole body you know the the body image problem that we're having as a society for many young women and people like body image issues are are like through the freaking roof like literally the fact that i'm just gonna go on a side tangent really quick but the fact that like plus size women like have to wear different clothes than like smaller women basically like and like again why is there like plus size and like quote average like no one is an average size like i'm sorry but like it's just not true no one is a quote average size there is no average size our bodies have no rhyme or reason i can't say it enough there is no right or wrong way for your body to sit hang slick up anything there is no right or wrong way for us to be tearing our bodies apart I think has a lot to do with the fashion evolution and our clothes and the things that we are and are not allowed to wear depending on what our body looks like. Oh, women with stomachs can't wear a crop top. Who? Who said that? Who made that up? Like, who are you telling that to? Why? Why? So I just think that that is a huge, huge part in this as to 
why we see um I don't know this hierarchy with fashion and the industry of fashion because I recommend going to watch that documentary that they put on Netflix called White Hot, I believe. And it's basically about the whole franchise of Amber Crombie and Fitch. And that heavily ties into this conversation. If you want me to do a separate podcast on that, I will. But I'm just going to throw that in there that that heavily goes along with that conversation because people who are in high positions or who are making high fashion or high status clothes stuff like that like brand name clothes like they want it to be exclusive they know what they're saying they say it behind closed doors they don't say it to our faces but it's on the paperwork it's on everything that you do when you sign up to work for them or something like literally they have it in contracts no certain type of hair and you can only work at night or we only want the happy clean um fresh pretty looking people what does that even mean oh white you're looking for only white people who are small and have blonde hair and blue eyes that's what you're looking for so yes our clothes are heavily meant to be discriminatory okay anyways that was my side tangent i'm so sorry that took a very long time but i really have to get that out my system i guess so let's keep moving what about in the 1940s so i thought i wrote down when the women's measurement in garments pattern construction book was released but i guess i didn't i believe it came out in um 1941 or 42 somewhere around there maybe even 40 like 3 or 45 um but yeah so it's somewhere like roughly uh yep i was right 1941 look at that <laughs> so that was published in 1941 okay so what what were what were we looking at in terms of fashion in the 40s anyway well there were a lot more dress silhouettes with the shoulder slash shoulder pads um like kind of like the sleek dress of like uh i don't know just a dress silhouette it's not a bodycon dress it's not tight anything like that um and then shoulder pads and by 42 women were wearing pants looser silhouettes as well as black women were wearing this style too um women had to change sorry i cannot speak today (laughs) women had to change their clothes to better suit their workplace so pants were way more ideal and in 1941 the fair employment act was passed so black people cannot be discriminated against i wrote that this was the first real access black people had um to that quote american dream so this was their first way of access to that quote american dream basically so our fashion had to fit in as best as possible you could even tie this topic back to the sunday best times during slavery as well which yes i think that's so true um (laughs) and now that black people have more access and opportunity we had the option to buy nicer clothes to quote fit in which was a power which was a powerful shift for us at that time. And this gave us the opportunity and again, access to be more visible and get into more spaces that we weren't allowed in before. So um, the Fair like Employment Act was super important. And again, I think why this is a huge shift for us as black people um, 
into the glamorized life because we have the opportunity now to make more money or to be in spaces where our voices are heard or be in spaces where, you know, typically we weren't allowed in what I basically just said. But this was a huge shift, I think, for us and something that I really wanted to add to this conversation because I know that a lot of times we talk about like respectability culture or um, there's... There's a coined term, like a respectable Negro, basically. Um, I think that's like a coined term. I don't know who said it, but I recently saw a video and she talked about that. And I was like, yes, that's what I'm going to be talking about. But basically, you know, like the whole, you know, being respectability culture. While there's a lot of us, including myself, who pretty much fight against respectability culture at this time, for the time being at that point, you know, respectability culture was actually really important to our change. You know what I mean? Like to be able to be accepted in a space where we have never been accepted and dehumanized for just being who we are. Like the only way that we could fit in is by doing the Sunday best, looking as nice as we can for God. Um, Or, you know, getting the Fair Employment Act. Like those are things that, that, helped us in a way that like we could get in the spot that we are right now where black people can be glamorous and they don't have to be in this stupid fucking respectability culture they can be their black selves and you can't tell me about it because you know what i'll call you out and we're not here for the racism anymore you can't tell me that my blackness is unacceptable but i just wanted to add that like the respectability culture for that time i think is important to add that it was helpful for us for a moment in time so when we talk about like the evolution of fashion glamorization and all those things and the evolution of change for black people and our and our accessibility i think that heavily has to do with the whole respectability culture or the respectable negro narrative whatever um i believe that that is all heavily important to this conversation because without us having to like morph ourselves first we would have never had the opportunity in the first place to be able to be our unapologetic black selves so i just want to praise our ancestors for you know taking those for the team and having to you know basically reinvent themselves to be able to fit in so yeah which I think there's a lot of people who can understand that because even when we talk about queerness, um, I think that's heavily connected. Like if you are someone who hasn't come out yet and no one knows that you're gay, trans, anything, like there is almost this like protection of respectability or, you know, being a certain way because you are more digestible as a person for the people in power but we're getting to the point where you don't you don't have to pretend to be this respectability respectable negro culture whatever it's stupid and it's not worth it because i am respectable just the way i am i don't need to change myself to be able to be respectable but we have to also acknowledge how that was an important play for us to be able to get the access and opportunity that we do now um so Yes. Um, I think that I'm going to stop here and I'm going to 
put this in a part two and hopefully you guys will listen to the part two it will probably be a little shorter than this one but i just didn't want to rant too long i wanted to cut it off when i got to like the 1950s because i think from there so on is a great way to continue that conversation i just wanted to get like the background first of where we started and how we are getting to where we are now and the events that I feel were very important to the development of us as black people and having glamorized lives. So I just wanted to, I think, stop there. Um, In the next podcast, I'm going to take it from about 1945 until present day for the most part. Um, And I'll be kind of going into you know, um, the first black magazine, the first black model, um, kind of where we started to see the shift in representation, like real representation in the media, um, and how that has shaped us into where we are now and why that is all important for the conversations I will be having further. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this first part. Let me know what you think and head over to listen to part two. I love y'all and talk to you later. Bye.